I'm Buddy Martin, and this is the Best Fridays in Football podcast with Urban Meyer and Terry Bradshaw. I'm glad to be back with Coach this week as we're mounting our preseason charge, getting ready to talk football and celebrate the great game, which we think is the best in America. Urban, I hope you're doing well. I'm doing good, buddy. Good to talk to you. You know, Urban, uh, a lot of turmoil about schedules, of course, and by the time we go on the air with this, it'll probably be changed again. But I want to get your comments, particularly about the conference-only things that came down. I know you were, according to the reports, I must ask you if this is accurate, you were unhappy about the moving of the Ohio State-Michigan game. Uh, and I know that the SEC schedule only and just a 10-game schedule has caused a furor. But what's your take on all this shuffling around like a game of musical chairs? Yeah, I think that was the only solution. You know, this whole thing is about player safety and protocol. And you can't control other conferences. Everybody's the NCAA is, I think, misunderstood. This is all about independent contractors right now. It's why you see schools jump from conference to conference. It's survival of the fittest and the strongest. And there is no allegiance between the conferences. So when an AD or presidents start having conversation about protocol, you can't control what the Pac-12 does if you're in the Big Ten or the MAC. So they said we're going to control all safety standards or protocol because we can control our conference. That was the main reason behind it uh, for the safety. And, you know, if there is going to be travel, how they travel, uh, how many kids travel, what the sidelines look like, that's all interconference now. I mean, that's all handled within the conference now. I like it. And you've referred to it last time we did this show about how you need the uniformity. And it makes sense. You can govern better when it's just your own conference, which, of course, the SEC has done to the exclusion of big games. And one you know a lot about, there's no more FSU-Florida game, at least this year. And, of course, we know about the others, uh, South Carolina, Clemson, et cetera, et cetera. The ability to govern a conference is much easier for the SEC and the Big Ten because they're playing 10-only and conference-only games which will result, in my opinion, in great TV ratings. Uh, is it good for football? And it will this be something that maybe we'll see repeated next year? No, I think it's good for the moment. Uh, you know, you asked the question about the rivalry game, Ohio State versus uh, the team up north, and someone said I was unhappy. I'm not unhappy. I just said it's hard to imagine. But in times of adversity, it takes sacrifice. And, yes, Ohio State, they sacrificed given, you know, the biggest game of the year that, you know, traditionally at the end of the season, then they sacrificed. It's all part of it. So I see this as a one-shot wonder. It's going to get us through this pandemic. Hopefully there's a uh, something not down the road that will give us, you know, the, not necessarily the cure, but the, uh, the thing that, you, you know, you, you won't have to worry about it anymore. And when that ever happens, it'll go back to the way it was. We talked last time, and we said maybe there might be some things that might stay. We'll find out what works and what doesn't. But a lot of the talk has been about, shall we say, skinning up uh, the, 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 the overall college football scene of, and, and using the, the Power Five conferences as a unit and not necessarily referring to the NCAA and you, deferring to them. Do you think that's something that might come out of this, that maybe – the the, uh, the 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 bigger schools will say they're 
75 and they'll kind of rule the roost and run the playoffs. What do you see happening on the horizon in terms of governance, in terms of college football at that level? I hope not. I, I hope that that it goes back to the way it was. And, and I believe it or not, I'm a fan of the NCAA. I'm a, I'm a fan of college sports. You know, I got in this 35 years ago and no one ever talked about money. Now every conversation is about money and I don't really understand that. And I disagree with that. For example, you start breaking away and, you know, what happens to uh, women's sports? What happens to the non-revenue sports? I happen to believe, and I know, I think it's an objective truth that sports and being part of the team make you a better person. I, I, my daughter, one daughter owns her own company. One daughter, my other daughter is a president of a company. Why? I think it's because they're athletic. Uh, obviously, they did great in school. They're academic. They're good kids. They're great people. But they had great coaches that taught them that, about the greater good, something more important than you, and that's called team. And people, I say that, and at times people say, oh, you're old-fashioned. You're darn right I am. I really believe in team and what it brings and what athletics bring the value. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm horrified that's going to be all lost because of, you know, just this constant financial issues that we're – that's all that's all we talk about and there's so much more to athletics to me than that governance is important and you talk a lot about culture has the culture of college football i guess you have to go by school changed all that much will it change as we go about and now with health being such a big priority obviously that impacts things when you talk about culture of a program Explain to me what you're talking about when you say culture. Well, culture, I, I've defined it because I speak on this quite a bit, and I worked really hard on it. I learned so much from the Patriot culture uh, as I studied and, and for Nike and et cetera. And culture to me is what does it look like, what does it feel like, and what does it act like when it's rolled out. So, for example, when the Ohio State Buckeyes or Florida Gators roll out in front of 100,000 fans, what does that look like? And how do the players feel and how does how do they act in adversity? To me, that's your culture. And you can see, for example, the Pac-12 right now is going through, they, they got they got some issues, their culture. It doesn't seem like they trust people uh, because they're some of the things they're sending out. And then you see the Big Ten or the Ohio State uh, student athletes came back and said, we not only, we don't feel like we're being exploited. We feel very strong about our coaches, about our team doctors, and, and they have our best interest to mind. They obviously trust the AD and the coaches at Ohio State. So to me, culture is what it looks like, feels like, acts like, and also is there trust involved. And it's very easy to see now. It's getting exposed. That's a high-water mark for college football. A lot of people praising Ohio State, for which you're largely a big part of responsibility that, you're, that you had there. In terms of Ohio State approaching it, completely different than what you said at the Pac-12 did. It's interesting to see what happens when you get power. And sometimes some people are not ready for power. Why do you think Ohio State was able to handle it so well and other people are concerned it's gotten out of hand in the Pac-12? Yeah, when I watch the Pac-12 and I hear it, I'm, am, I, am I saying it's wrong? No, I'm just saying I can read into it. And it's all about distrust. There is distrust in the Pac-12. And then I read what the student-athletes weren't told to do. As a matter of fact, I was with Gene Smith and talked to him right after it came out, and he got emotional about it. That here, that our kids are treated right, they get the best of the best of the best academically, uh, facility-wise, coaching-wise, nutrition-wise, health and safety-wise, and everyone here knows it. 
And so when I hear the word exploitation that came out of the Pac-12, I'm like, wow, that must be just terrible. If the players really feel they're being exploited by their coaches and the, the administration, I can't imagine that. Once again, am I being critical of it? No, I don't, I don't know what's going on out there. I read it, and I'm smart enough to see when you read it that there must be severe mistrust uh, amongst the schools in the Pac-12. Trust is a lot of what your program has been built on. We're going to talk for a second here in a minute about the Champions Club that you started and how that has given athletes a chance to impact the culture of their own team. Uh, and we'll, we'll discuss that. In fact, let's discuss it now because that was a big part of what you did at Florida with your Champions Club where you people who stepped up, they got special dispensation. They got treats. They got better dinners. They got uh, – and, and it developed that culture in a way – where you're accountable to your teammates in a big way. Is that still a part of what you taught at Ohio State? And, and is it something you've put in all your programs, the Champions Club? Sure. I, I believe athletics are a meritocracy. I believe society should be a meritocracy. You get what you earn. You're responsible for your own behavior, and it's called personal responsibility. And when you do great, you should be rewarded. When you don't do great, you should not be rewarded. I mean, our job as coaches is to impact behavior of young people. And how do you do that? You reward them when it's great and you maybe treat them differently when it's not so great. Because if there's no incentive to be great, why are you great? You know, why do that? So yeah, I've always, that goes back to my playing days. I never quite understood why a player does everything right, goes to class, plays hard, does everything right. And he gets treated the same way a guy does everything wrong. And I, I just promised myself if I ever became head coach, I was going to make sure that I'm going to treat the players uh, and I'm not just talking about their performance on the field. I'm talking about everything. So I want to really reward. And that's been a huge part of our program everywhere we've been. And, you know, you see the coaches that were on our staff in previous years is that's continued throughout, uh, you know, the other programs. Let's talk about one player in particular. And uh, while you don't like to favor one, it's hard not to favor somebody that did as much as Tim Tebow did. And coming up, um, the uh, SEC Network is going to feature a special tribute to your quarterback, Tim Tebow, on August 14th, his birthday. And they'll talk about all the things he accomplished. Uh, and you start thinking about it, it, it almost is surreal. I called you or texted you the night they replayed the 2008 Florida-Alabama game on the SEC Network. And I said to you, Wow. This is amazing, and you said you'd never seen it, but you still know this is one. Of, this might have been the moment for you. Tim Tebow was is almost now beyond uh, famous. He's like a folklore figure, and the, the SEC, uh, of course, the network knows this, and they're going to be doing these uh, this special with something like six hours on Tim Tebow. And there was a time when you people couldn't get enough of Tim Tebow. When you just look at his numbers. 145 career touchdowns, ninth overall in the NCAA. Number one in the SEC history, 23 touchdowns in the round, uh, tops in the SEC a year. And I remember the night I was standing there in the locker room after Tim had his seven-touchdown night against South Carolina in Columbia. And I remember when someone told you, and you said, he got seven? Amazing, 2007. Um seven touchdowns, and that was a moment that was so big it almost escaped us. Can you go back to that night and think about that seven touchdowns against a pretty good team? 
No, a really good team, and and I once again didn't realize it. Um, you know, you look back, and that was one that was a Heisman-worthy performance. And if you remember, Percy Harvin did not play that game, mm-hmm. and so he had to carry a lot of the mail for us that day. And like you said, South Carolina was a very good team, and we just kept, you know, never felt comfortable. I remember calling, you know, being involved in the play calling, and never felt comfortable even when we were running out the clock. He threw his last touchdown, I believe, above a Caldwell. You know, where you could have maybe run out the clock, but we just never felt comfortable because, you know, Steve Spurrier and the Gamecocks were a good offensive team. So, yeah, I remember it very well. And, you know, obviously running and passing, he had a great day. And, and uh, that'll go down as one of the great performances by a quarterback of all time. I thought of a question for you today. I was thinking about Tim. And I thought, I wonder how Urban would answer this. I think I know. Is he a tailback who can throw or a quarterback who can run? Oh, no, he's a quarterback can run. He's a second, or at least he was. I got to check up again. But when he finished, uh, he was the second most efficient passer in the history of the game. And, I'm, you know, that includes Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and all the great players that went on the NFL. So his time at Florida, he finished as the second most efficient quarterback ever to play. And so, of course, he was, a, you know, uh, I didn't obviously translate to the NFL, but I'm very biased. I think he's the best player ever to play college football. Urban, let me take you back to a moment. And this is something I didn't know until after. Uh, and we wrote about it in your book, Urban's Way, which I think I've said this to you. And I said to other people, one of the real terrific jobs of coaching. Sometimes don't say anything, a lesson all coaches could learn from. And take us back to that night, a day at Florida Field, where Tim failed to get that yard on fourth down. He turned the ball over and lost to Ole Miss. And that was the night, of course, the day he would make the promise. But before that, I think it was before or after, uh, he was in his locker and he was absolutely just crying a river of tears. And you take it from here, but as I recall, you walked up to him and saw him. And what did you do? Yeah, I just sat next to him. And, uh, you know, at that point, most everybody, you know, from just anger to disappointment to being devastated, and most of the players and coaches had already left. And, you know, I, I had a hard time even functioning after that game. And, and uh, you know, it's a little bit like you go through hard times in your life. Who do you want to be around? Those you love or those you care about in your family? And that was as, you know, professionally, that was one of the hardest days I've had. And so I looked for my guy and sure enough, he was sitting right there in his locker. I just simply sat next to him and we didn't say a word. We didn't say a word. We just sat there for, you know, 10 for quite a while, actually. And that's uh, afterwards he got called into the media and and I kind of went him out my way and and went to work and I didn't hear about the speech until the next day. And I told you, I think before that I was devastated that he not devastated, but just disappointed because I thought there was for sure he was going to blow back because I I really believe in this unfortunate as all is there's people out there actually try to hurt you in the you know that write really bad things about you and try to hurt you well that was the time if you ever get it done but i can tell you sitting on the front row with my friends and friend and colleague france beard it was a moment that i've never seen before or since and when the tebow made his speech and walked away and came back and left i turned to france and said wow I've never seen something like that in my life. And who knew those words will be immortalized, almost like Canute Rockneys, you know, and they're up there on the side of the building, having their building, and the promise has become a big, big, big story for people who follow Florida football. And I know it's 
very special to you. Can you share any more T-Bow stories with us since we're having this big thing on uh, <clears throat> ESPN for his birthday? I know there's a story about you and Greg Madison when you went to recruit Tim, that uh, when Madison told you something about that. Can you recall that? Sure. I was trying to justify the fact that we lost Tim. You know, I really thought at one point that Tim was going to go to Alabama and uh, we were going to get on the plane and it was a JC transfer quarterback. And I was trying to convince myself we're going to be all right. And we, Greg and I was real late at night. We're getting back on the school plane, flying from somewhere. And he looks at me, if we don't, and he looks right at me because Tim was decided the next day. And he said, if we don't get Tim Tebow, that'll set our program back 10 years. And I look right at him. I said, Greg, we'll be fine. You know, we'll be, if we don't get him, we'll be fine. And I just, and I remember like pulling a blanket over and just going to sleep on that plane. And inside, I'm thinking we won't be fine. We have to get that kid. So, you know, one other quick story. So, Tim, you know, the 2008 win over Georgia, you know, payback year that uh, the year before they danced all over the end zone. And so everybody all year, what was our payback going to be? And right near the end, when I called a timeout, um, or right before the timeouts, when Tim was still in the game, I said, Tim, remember I told you everybody's worried about our payback? Here's our payback. I want you to take a snap. You drop back and you throw that football right in the middle of the, orange, the red and black fans just launch it and he looked at me right in the eye and says i'll do it right now and so he started jogging away and i and i grabbed him back i said tim i'm just kidding i don't want you to do that but he was ready to take a snap and launch the football in the stands and uh we laugh about that still to this day that was quite a moment and was certainly for everybody and you and you didn't tell us because <clears throat> i had just written a book with your urban's way and and uh, in the book you said i'll have something special what I didn't know was that you didn't know what that special was going to be. And it turned out, describe the end of that game and how you called the timeouts and handed the ball off and what happened and what you felt like. Yeah, we played. That was one of the best prepared teams I've ever seen because Georgia had great personnel, three first-rounders on offense, and it was just everything clicked. Our defense played great from the second play on when uh, Spikes hit, no Sean Marino. And Tim was outstanding. Percy was outstanding. Just a dominant, dominant performance. And as the game was running down, you know, most of the Georgia fans had left the uh, stadium. All the Gator fans stayed there celebrating, having a great time. And Emmanuel Moody was our backup tailback. I put him in the game, and he breaks off a nice run. And I just look at the scoreboard, and I saw the number two. There were two timeouts left. And I said, here we go. And I called timeout the official. He looks at me and goes, timeout. And I see a timeout. I was like 30 seconds left. And he thought something happened that I wanted a timeout. And I don't think everybody quite understood then. And then we ran another play and I got down to, I think, eight seconds. And I called another timeout. And that's when Tebow and the whole sideline erupted. Buckeye Nation erupted. And then that was our uh, chance of saying, you know what, we'll, we'll end the game when we say we're ready to end the game. Probably Gator Nation, but that's okay. Uh, I, I can, you know, I can recall that moment, and I loved uh, the fact that you that you called your timeouts and did what you needed to do. And we didn't really know the whole story till later, but uh, like somebody said, Urban to call two timeouts, and someone said he would have called three if he'd had them. And it was your way of saying, take a look at this scoreboard. Remember what happened last year. That's the ultimate payback. That was it, and that was uh, like I said. That was as well. That was as well prepared team, and those guys performed great that day. 
I know it's hard to put in words, but as we close this podcast, if you could tell me what it's been like to coach a young man like Tim Tebow, to have him as a friend, to work on his foundation, to see the young man he's become, what's that experience been like for Urban Meyer and, and, and uh, with Tim as a person and as a player and the things you accomplished together? Yeah, he's part of our family. He's a guy that uh, is as close to my children and Shelly as he is with me. I mean, he is officially, I mean, we're constantly still talk. Uh, like you said, I'm on his foundation board. Uh, what he does is the Tebow family does uh, to ch- help change this world. I mean, he is the most selfless guy I've ever been around. And he has really been created to make others' days brighter. I mean, he's changed my life. He's changed our family's life. And I don't think people, you know, as time moves on I you know it's one of my jobs and I never let people forget how he was one of the toughest most competitive human beings that ever put on a football helmet and I think you know in my lifetime the most competitive guy I've ever been around yeah I'll never forget when you had the bull in the ring right off the bat when he was a freshman he wanted to jump in there first he said no 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 not yet so yeah, it, was been, it was great to watch and to be a part of mm-hmm. Urban and I um, I enjoyed it. We'll talk again next week on uh, Urban Meyer and Buddy Martin Podcast where we celebrate the great game of college football. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening to Best Fridays in Football and thanks to Urban Meyer and Terry Bradshaw. On behalf of Director Brendan Martin, Producer Andy Billman, And the good folks at Evergreen, I'm Buddy Martin, and these are the best Fridays in football. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access. 